0: We are going to go back to the Bible and I have mentioned this perhaps once or twice already but uh, throughout this series we are using as our source book the Bible because that's where we want to begin and end and, and find the information that we want to know about what God wants us to understand. Tonight's first presentation in the Is God For Real series is the rest of the story and the emphasis in that is rest. Do you like to rest? Do you get enough rest? Maybe you don't. This was Time Magazine. What's funny about this is is this is 1983, right? This is Time Magazine in 1983. It says, Stress, Seeking Cures for Modern Anxieties. And that was back in 1983. I think things have paced up a little bit since 1983. And uh, I have a book called Affluenza, It was written in 2005 by Clive Hamilton and Richard Dennis, and uh, notice this, it's it's affluenza when too much is never enough, and they talk about the fact that in the Western world we suffer from this condition called affluenza, we're so affluent that it's actually doing us damage. And uh, notice what it says in the book here, the Western world is in the grip of a consumerism that is unique in human history. We overwork... We spend huge amounts of money on things we never use and then we chuck them out. You ever seen the hardened hard green waste you know, collections or whatever outside people's houses? And There's quite a lot of interesting stuff that's often put out on the, the yard there. He goes on, he says, fortunately there is a cure. More and more Australians are deciding to ignore the advertisers, reduce their consumer spending and recapture their time for the things that really matter. And uh, I like that. I like that idea. And hopefully uh, we can also recapture our time for the things that really matter. There was a BBC uh, news story out back in 2015 that caught my eye. It says, is this the secret to living longer? And uh, Peter Bowes, he he writes in this article, he says, if you're anything like me, Your precious time is gobbled up by a pinging phone, a bouncing email icon and the ubiquitous stack of admin. But what if we could stop everything for just 24 hours to rest, reboot and refocus? Take a day away from the gadgets, gizmos, to-do lists and anything remotely connected to work. Could that be the elusive secret to a long I thought that was a fascinating piece from a BBC reporter, and that's what we're going to look into tonight. We're going to look at, is it possible for us to take that 24 hours, that one day in a week, where we take time out and reconsider the important things in life? In our last presentation, we talked about the Ten Commandments, and we remember the words of Jesus, who said to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. God is calling us to do that. He knows that it's good for us and we talked about the Ten Commandments written in stone by the finger of God and what we want to do tonight is we're going to focus on one particular commandment. I think that generally speaking if you asked people whether the world would be a better place if we kept the Ten Commandments, most people probably would agree that it is. Certainly in the Christian world I think you wouldn't have much argument that yes God wants for us to keep the Ten Commandments and that they would be good for us to keep. Except when you come to the Fourth Commandment. And we read a little bit of it last night and we're going to read it in full today. This is the Fourth Commandment in Exodus 28 through 11. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, or made it holy. And there are a number of things in here... First, of course, it talks about the Sabbath day and that being the seventh day of the week, but it also talks about not only does God want us to rest on that day, he wants us to allow others to rest on that day. Did you catch that? You know, where he says that um, your, you shall do no work on it, but your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your cattle, the stranger. In other words, not only are we to rest on the Sabbath, he says, but he wants us to extend that to other people to allow them also to rest. And then, of course, at the end, it gives the rationale for why we should do this. He says, because in six days the Lord God made the heavens and the earth and then rested on the seventh day. And the origin of the Sabbath really goes back to creation as hinted there in the Ten Commandments. In fact, if we read Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 to 3, Uh, If you just back up a little bit, in Genesis chapter 1, we read about the first six days of creation. And, you know, God makes various things. In fact, if you look at the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, you have God forming the environments and then in the first three days and then in the next three days, he fills those environments. So he forms it and then he fills it. And after six days, you have this beautiful paradise planet You have human beings that God has placed on the planet to have dominion over the earth. And you might think, well, that's it. Job done, creation is over. God has done his creative work in six days. And yet God goes on to create another day for the weekly cycle. Notice what it says in Genesis 2, 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth and the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So there were four things. I don't know if you noticed in that passage, he mentions the seventh day three times. But there were four things that God did. It says he ended, he rested, he blessed, and he sanctified the seventh day. He ended his work. He rested on that day. He blessed the Sabbath, or the seventh day, and then he sanctified it. Now, what does that word, sanctified, mean? It simply means, well, let me ask you this. Have you ever heard of a sanctuary? Maybe you've heard of um, Corumban Sanctuary uh, up in uh, near Brisbane. Well, actually near the Gold Coast, isn't it? Um, Anybody ever been there? I've been there. Corumban Sanctuary, like they've got birds and animals and stuff. Um... What does that mean? What is a sanctuary? A sanctuary, literally, it's a place set apart for some specific purpose. That Corumban sanctuary is a place set apart for those birds and animals. Something that is sanctified is something that is set apart for a specific purpose. And so when the Sabbath was set apart, it was set aside for a holy use. That's what the Sabbath was set aside for. And we notice it back there at the end of creation week. By the way, when you think about the week, the days of the week, this is really the Bible, is the only place you can trace the seven-day week to. Uh, if you think about our days, our months, our years, they're all tied to astronomical cycles, right? So our days of the week, it takes about how long for the Earth to spin? Twenty-four hours, right? about 24 hours for the Earth to spin once and we call that a day and then the moon oh, to the moon the month where do we get the month from? Oh yeah it's the month right the moon goes around the earth about once every 29 days and that's basically what the months were based on right the moon traveling around the earth and then of course years they're based on the earth traveling around the Sun and it takes approximately 365 days for the earth to rotate around the sun. But when you come to weeks, the seven-day week, which is practiced and kept around the world, where does that come from? We can only trace that to the first couple of chapters of Genesis. That's where the seven-day week comes from. And ever since that creation week, we've been keeping a seven-day week, believe it or not. And uh, we still have that seven-day week, and it comes from... Genesis the creation Sunday uh, the creation story. Okay, so in Leviticus 2332, what else can we learn about the Sabbath from the Bible? Well, he says from evening to evening you shall celebrate your Sabbath. And this is not simply the Sabbath, but all of the days of the week. If you will read the first chapter of Genesis, you will notice that the evening part of the day always came first. You know, it'd give a description of what God had said. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And after day one, it would say, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Then it would describe what God did on the second day. And then it would say, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And so it said, for all the days. And you have the evening part of the day coming first. So biblically, uh, and you'll see this a little later as we, we look through some of the passages in the New Testament too, Biblically, a day began and ended at sunset. That's when it began. So when we talk about the Sabbath, the Sabbath begins at sunset and it finishes at sunset. And likewise, all the other days, these days we have digital watches and uh, we we measure off time from midnight, don't we? Midnight is the, the time that passes into the next day. But biblically, it was at sunset. They didn't have digital watches. And so it was easier to see when the sun went down. Sunset was the time when Sabbath began and ended. Next time we see a reference to the Sabbath in the Bible, it's in Exodus 16. This is before we get to Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments being given. But God instructs his people about the Sabbath even before they get to Mount Sinai. God had delivered the children of Israel under the leadership of Moses. Out of Egypt they came and they were in the wilderness... And there wasn't an awful lot to eat in the wilderness, so God rained down manna from heaven for them to eat, miraculously. He actually did that for a 40-year period. And God rained down manna from heaven, and it says, Then he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. This is Moses talking. He says, Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, boil what you will boil, and lay it for yourselves, all that remains, to be kept until morning. And then he says, then Moses said, eat that today. So in other words, God would rain down manna from heaven on six days of the week, but on the seventh day there'd be none. And God was saying, gather extra on the sixth day of the week, so you'll have some left over for the seventh day of the week. And that's what they did. And then Moses says, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day the Sabbath, there will be none. In other words, God says, I want you to rest on that seventh day. You don't have to go out gathering your food that day. I'm going to provide enough for you on the other days, on the Friday, on the sixth day, for you to be able to gather that up. And then he goes on and he says, And the Lord said to Moses, What happened was, some people went out looking for the manor on the seventh day. And God says to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no, one, no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And all of this experience took place even before God had given the Sabbath in the Ten Commandments. Then, of course, the next reference is the Ten Commandments. And we've read part of this already. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Why is the Sabbath so important to God? Why does he want it to be important to us? It's really all about relationship. God created humanity. He created all the life on this planet. Then he created humans and gave them dominion over the planet. And that seventh-day Sabbath is a memorial to creation. It is a reminder to us, not once a year, but once a week, that reminds us that we belong to God. We belong to him by creation. Of course, since the fall and since the redemption through Christ, we belong to him through redemption as well. But we belong to him through creation, and he wants us to remember that. He wants us to spend some time with him, And specifically on the seventh day, he makes time available just for that. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, there's something else here about the Sabbath. It says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, now what does that mean? Well, it means turn your foot away from trampling on the Sabbath. That's really what it means. If you'll turn your foot away from trampling on the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honourable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so God attaches this blessing to the Sabbath, and he gives us I guess, guidance on how to keep the Sabbath. Now, what is this really all about? The Sabbath, in a way, it's like an anniversary. We mentioned before that it's a memorial to the fact that God created in six days, then he rested. And this memorial comes round every week. And it's like a date that God sets with us. He says, you find the place, I set the time, and we're going to get together once a week. And we're going to spend quality time together. Can you imagine going out with uh, someone you care about and say so you uh, maybe you go out to dinner, and uh, you know, the waiter or waitress comes, you order the food, and she goes away. And then somebody pulls out their phone and they say, Do you mind if I watch the game while we're here? You can imagine that if you're the other person, you're probably thinking, Well, I can't mean very much to this person because they're more interested in what they can see on their phone than they are having a conversation with me across the table. In other words, God is saying in this passage, let's put all distractions aside so that we can have some quality time together, where we can communicate and build this relationship between you and I. That's really what it's all about. It's like a date with God every single week. If we stick... Here in Isaiah, in chapter 56, verses 6 and 7, it says something here, because some people believe, well, the Sabbath, surely that was a Jewish institution, and we're going to find out what the Bible says about that. But notice what it says here, also the sons of the foreigner, this is God talking to his people, the children of Israel, but he's saying, also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. You know, Jesus once picked up these words and he talked about the house of the Lord should be a house of prayer for all nations, right? He uh, remembered that. And God is saying that Whoever wants to join themselves to the Lord and to keep the Sabbath, then he will accept them as his own people. Sometimes people will say, well, the Sabbath is just a Jewish Sabbath, right? The Sabbath is a Jewish day. Where in the Bible is the seventh day called the Sabbath of the Jews? That's not a rhetorical question. The reality is there's nowhere in the Bible that it says that. In fact, when we come to the New Testament and we see the words of Jesus, it says, He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. When Jesus uses this word, when he says the Sabbath was made for man, he says, well, you know, what about all the women? The word he uses for man there is anthropos. It means mankind, right? So Jesus is saying, the Sabbath was made for mankind and not mankind for the Sabbath. In other words, God did not create human beings just to keep a law that he was about to give them. Rather, he made the law for the blessing of the human beings he had created. You know, so Jesus is saying the Sabbath was made for mankind, not mankind for the Sabbath. When Jesus was here on earth, he encountered a lot of controversy regarding the Sabbath. And that was because Jesus had to rescue the Sabbath from the traditions of men that had been placed around it. In other words, God had given laws, but then human beings, in their uh, desire to protect those laws, had put another law around that law. And then others would come along and they put another law around that law. And then others would come along and they put another law around that law to make sure that you couldn't possibly break that law because you couldn't even get to it. Um, And what that did is it created a situation where the Sabbath was becoming a burden, not a blessing. And God had always intended the Sabbath to be a blessing and not a burden. Notice what, uh, well, let me just deal with this verse. You know, we talk about, is the Sabbath the Sabbath of the Jews? Well, not according to Jesus. He says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. By the way, if we go back to creation with Adam and Eve and God first blessed and sanctified the seventh day of the week back then, how many people were on the earth? Only the two, right? Adam and Eve. Anybody here related to Adam and Eve? Yeah, that's right. All of us, right? Every one of us. We're all related. So it's basically the Sabbath was given for the family of God, the humanity, right? Not just the Jewish people. It was right back there at the beginning. And, uh, you know, the Sabbath is not the Sabbath of the Jews, it's not the Sabbath of me, it's not the Sabbath of you. The Bible tells us it's the Sabbath of the Lord. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. That's who it belongs to. It's kind of like if, uh, if I have a birthday and you forget to send me a birthday card... Your forgetting, or even your deliberate neglect, doesn't negate the fact that it's still my birthday, right? I mean, the fact, whether you remember it or not, whether you even know about it or not, doesn't negate the fact that I have a birthday. And likewise, God has a Sabbath. Whether we remember it or not, that's entirely up to us. But God has a day that God has blessed, sanctified, and made holy, and that is the seventh-day Sabbath. You know, sometimes people will read this verse in the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 10. It says, I was in the Spirit. John is writing. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. And people say, ah, John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Well, what day would that be? Well, we've already discovered in the Bible that the Lord's day is the Sabbath. It's the seventh day Sabbath. That's what the Lord's day is. And you might be thinking, yeah, but I'm sure I've heard something else about the Lord's Day. We'll we'll, we'll talk about that later this evening. We'll cover that later this evening. But the Lord's Day, biblically, is the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, for the Son of Man, and that was a reference to himself. Remember we mentioned that last night when we talked about the judgment to the Son of Man. He says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath. So that's what he's telling us. You know, you may remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Jesus was the principal agent in creation. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. So Jesus is the creator and he's the one who was back there giving them the Sabbath. When I heard about the Sabbath, by the way, for the first time, I was sort of blown away because I'd never heard of these things before. And uh, you'll see why in a few moments, I guess. But um, it was a complete revelation to me. In the Bible, it also talks about another element of the Sabbath. It says in Ezekiel 20, verses 12 and verse 20, it says, Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. There's that word again. Now, if the seventh-day Sabbath is a day that God sanctified there in Genesis 2, in other words, he set the day apart for a holy purpose, he's now saying the Sabbath becomes a sign between God and us that we might know that God is the one who sanctifies us. In other words... When we become believers, when we become Christians, God sanctified us. That means he set us apart for a holy purpose. Just as the Sabbath was set apart for a holy purpose, when we keep the Sabbath, we're acknowledging the fact that God has set us apart for a holy purpose. That's what this verse is saying to us. The Sabbath becomes a sign between God and us as an identifier that he is the one who sets us apart as holy. In Ezekiel 20, 20, it says, hallow my Sabbaths, or rather, keep holy the Sabbath. And they will be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And so God has this other element of the Sabbath. It sort of identifies who we are. In fact, we are identifying. When we keep Sabbath, we're identifying that we belong to the Creator. We belong to the Creator. And then... Another verse in Isaiah is intriguing because this verse implies to me that we are going to be keeping Sabbath in the new earth. We're not there yet. We're still in the old earth. But notice what it says. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another All flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. God is saying that this is going to be the experience of God's saved people in the new earth. We're going to be keeping Sabbath in the new earth. So that is quite amazing. You might be wondering about the new moon. Stick that somewhere at the back of your mind, because we will cover that at the end of this series, because we're going to talk about that. But God here clearly is plainly pointing out that we're going to keep the Sabbath in the new earth. So if it was created at creation, it was given in the Ten Commandments, God's people kept it throughout the, New Te- the Old Testament and we're going to be keeping it in heaven, you might be saying, but what about the New Testament? What about Jesus and the disciples? Wasn't there a, was there a change in the situation there? I uh, took this picture and this uh, picture is um, of a church in Nazareth in Israel. And this church it was built upon the site of the synagogue in Nazareth where Jesus used to go. So this church now is built on the site of the synagogue that Jesus used to attend when he was here on earth. And we find this in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It says, So he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So here in the New Testament, we have a description of Jesus going to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and not only is he just visiting there, it says it was his custom, that means it's something he practiced on a regular basis, and he's not just popping in and then popping out, he's participating in the worship. It says he stood up to read. So here's Jesus who's our example as Christians, going to the synagogue. By the way, the word synagogue simply means the gathering place. It's the place where people gather for worship. And so he went to the synagogue and he kept the Sabbath day. That was his custom. Uh, In Luke 4, 31 to 32, it says, Then he went down to Capernaum, another city, a city of Galilee, a different place. And he was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. So Jesus would go there and he would teach. In fact, there's a at Capernaum, again, there is the ruins of a synagogue there that you can go to. And that is the site where that synagogue was. Jesus taught on the Sabbath. Now, as I mentioned before, there were a number of uh, controversies about the Sabbath that Jesus encountered when he was here on earth with the religious teachers of his day. And it says, here in Matthew 12, 12 to 10-12, uh, to 12, it says, Behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So here's a man who had a withered hand. It's the Sabbath day. And they're saying to Jesus, Is it lawful? Can, are you allowed to heal people on the sabbath and Jesus because they had basically said you can't do any work and for them work was doing anything that required any effort really Um, and they'd sort of restricted people's movements so those although as though that God was pleased if they just sat by and watched people suffer and God did not intend that and It says that they might accuse him. You'll notice this. They don't really care about the man. They're just trying to trick Jesus. Then he, Jesus, said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. When the Bible says... On the Sabbath you should do no work, but you shall rest because it's the seventh day. The idea there is that you will not be working for personal gain. In other words, what God was trying to get them to understand is that Sabbath became a matter of trust. God was saying, if you work for six days and you cease work on the seventh day, trusting that I will provide for you on those six days what you need for the whole week then there's a blessing in the Sabbath for you. That's what he wanted them to do. He wanted them to trust him. Back in Bible times, a lot of the time, you ate to work, uh, sorry, you worked to, uh, to eat. In other words, you would work one day and you would gain enough that day to eat for that day. And then you'd go back out tomorrow to do the same. And God was saying, I want you to work for six days, but I want you to rest on the Sabbath day, trusting that I will provide And that's exactly what he did with the manna in the wilderness, right? He rained down enough manna in the six days to provide for the seven. And that's the principle he's trying to teach us. He wasn't teaching us that we shouldn't alleviate people's pain and suffering on the Sabbath. Jesus said, therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Let me um, tell you a little bit about how some of those Traditions that Jesus was encountering have come down to today, because, as I mentioned before, Jesus was trying to rescue the Sabbath from the traditions of men. I went to Jerusalem a couple of times, and one of the times I was on a bus and we were traveling outside the old old city. we actually were going down the road near the valley of Hinnom in Jerusalem and across uh, the side of the road, there was like telegraph poles and wires going between the poles, as you, you know normally have, but there were ribbons attached to those wires. And I asked the guide on the bus, and I said, what are those ribbons that are tied to those wires on the telegraph poles? And he says, the, the different coloured ribbons denote different synagogues in Jerusalem, and they are the boundaries of where you can walk to on a Sabbath. In other words, that was the limit of your exercise for that day because they are so fastidious about keeping the Sabbath. A friend of mine bought a refrigerator a couple of years ago and do you know that there's a Sabbath setting on, the fr- on that refrigerator? In other words, I don't know whether it's you open the door and the light doesn't come on or something. I don't know what it was. In the hotel where we were staying in Jerusalem, it was I think it was called the City of David Hotel or something like that, they had i think three three regular elevators and then they had what was called the sabbath elevator in jerusalem in the hotel and the sabbath elevator you could walk into that elevator and you didn't have to touch a button you could go to every floor it would go up one floor and stop up the next floor and stop up the next floor and stop and then it would stop all the floors on the way down and you didn't have to touch a button All the other three elevators were regular ones, but they had the Sabbath elevator. And this is how pedantic the Jewish people had become about the Sabbath. Jesus did not come to abolish the Sabbath. Rather, he came to rescue it from the traditions of men that had stifled the Sabbath. Now, Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, biblically, is the day that we call Saturday. When I understood that, when I learned that for the first time, I was shocked because I'd never heard this before in my entire life. Um, and then I sort of... Because I had a, you know, a non-religious background. I was a secular person, didn't believe in God and all of that. And Even though I went to state school in the UK, when I went to state school, they'd still... Um, they, had, uh, they would sing at assembly, you know, they'd have assembly. And they would uh, sing All Things Bright and Beautiful... And they would get you to recite the Lord's Prayer. So I remember that from memory, even though I have nothing to do with God. But that was in state school. And one of the things I remember them telling me in infant school, which you would call primary school, was that Sunday is the first day of the week. I just remembered hearing that. It was taught at school. And didn't mean anything to me. It didn't matter to me. But when I understood that the Sabbath was the biblical... Sabbath that we, we, we see there is actually the, the day we call Saturday. I thought, actually, that must be right. If Sunday is the first day of the week, then seventh day is the Saturday. How can we be sure? Well, first of all, most calendars still lists Sabbath as the seventh day of the week. I have several calendars at home non-religious organisations, but they still list Saturday as the seventh day of the week. If you look up the encyclopaedia or the dictionary and you look up the word Saturday, it will say seventh day of the week. However, we even have the Bible to help us indicate which day it was. This is Luke chapter 23. It's describing the day on which Jesus had died on the cross. They have asked if they can have the body of Jesus. They've taken the body of Jesus down from the cross and they are taking it to be buried. And the Bible says that day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near. So in other words, biblically, the day before the Sabbath was called the preparation day because that was the day people would prepare for Sabbath. And so the day on which Jesus was crucified is called the preparation day and the Sabbath drew near. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed after. They observed the tomb and his body where it was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So here we have some of the women who were at the cross. They saw Jesus crucified. They saw how he was buried. They wanted to prepare his body for burial, but they went home and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. very next verse in the Bible is Luke 24 verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And of course at that point Jesus had risen. So we note that Friday is called Preparation Day. In fact, Every year around the globe, many people celebrate and remember what happened over the crucifixion weekend. In fact, we have a public holiday. What is it called? Good Friday, Friday, right. So when Jesus died on the cross, we recognise and remember that that was on a Friday. The Bible calls it the preparation day. We have a public holiday. It's called Good Friday. There are, as you know, probably our principal holidays in this country, the two major ones are Christmas and Easter, right? And we have lots of other single days. But at Christmas time, you have two days off, Christmas day and Boxing Day. And then at Easter time, you've got two days off too, don't you? You have Friday, and then they give you Monday in lieu of the Sunday, which is already a day off right? So Friday, we understand Jesus was crucified on a Friday. The Bible says, well, yeah, let me pause here. When Jesus died on a Friday, it was Friday afternoon. We already read that it was the preparation day and that the Sabbath drew near. And we noted before that Sabbath actually begins at what time of day? Sunset, Sunset, right. So they're approaching sunset. It's Friday afternoon. Jesus has died on the cross. As he dies on the cross, he says, it is finished, which is very interesting because at the end of creation week, God says, it is ended. And the end of salvation week, he says, it is finished. He dies on the cross. And if you think about it, Jesus even rested in his death on the Sabbath. He dies on the Friday. He rests in the tomb all day Sabbath and then he rises to go back to work on the first day of the week. Friday was the preparation day. We know Jesus died on a Friday. The next day, it says, was the Sabbath. Well, that has to be Saturday. And then Sunday, the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the grave and went back to work for you and me. There's another passage that I want to refer to in Matthew 24, talking about Jerusalem. Jesus was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. He's talking here at about AD 31... But he's talking about the, the, the buildings of Jerusalem which are going to be destroyed around AD 70. And he's talking to his followers and he's saying, when that happens, when Jerusalem is destroyed, he says, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. In other words, AD 31, just before he goes to the cross, Jesus is saying to his disciples, in about 40 years time, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. But remember my words, because I want you to be protected from that. When you see it, you're surrounded by armies, I want you to get out. And he says, I pray that your flight may not be in winter, because the weather conditions would be difficult, and that it may not be on the Sabbath. Why? Because on the Sabbath they would close the gates of Jerusalem, because they had no trading on that day. The point being, Jesus expected his followers to be keeping the Sabbath 40 years after the cross. I hope you grasp that. Forty years after the cross, Jesus is warning his disciples, I know you'll be keeping Sabbath. Pray that your flight from Jerusalem is not in the winter or on the Sabbath. Very plainly, Jesus expected his disciples still to be keeping Sabbath after the cross. And indeed they did. We can look in the book of Acts at the... Actions of Paul and the other disciples. This is Acts chapter 17, 1 and 2. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. That's in northern Greece. i have actually been to Thessalonica. I even got on a a train going in the wrong direction at Thessalonica. Thankfully, I got off before it moved. But anyway, now, (laughs) they came to Thessalonica. There was there a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Paul's custom was keeping the Sabbath. He had had a dramatic conversion. He was a zealous Jew, intent on destroying the Christian church, but he had a dramatic conversion. He met Christ and he became a follower of Christ. And he kept the Sabbath, even in the book of Acts, in Corinth. This is Paul again. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When it says Greeks there, it just means everybody who wasn't a Jew because in that world, the the culture of that world was a Greek-speaking culture. So he persuaded both Jews and Greeks and he continued there, the Bible says, a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So for a year and six months... He was there every Sabbath. It says every Sabbath he persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Here's another one in Acts chapter 13. It says, when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. This is the Gentiles. These are the non-Jews. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. So here we have Paul, one of the foremost uh, apostles of, of the gospel to the Gentiles and he is keeping Sabbath, he's meeting with people on the Sabbath, he's teaching the word of God on the Sabbath. Here's another one in Acts chapter 16. On the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to a riverside where prayer was customarily made and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Here's a group of women meeting under a tree by the river. I've actually been to that river at Philippi. And so through the New Testament, we find that God's people are still keeping the Sabbath. And no wonder, because here in the last book of the Bible, once again, we look at Revelation chapter 14. This is the first of those three angels' messages that we've been referring to. Notice what it says. It says, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Now, we spoke about his judgment last night. When did that judgment begin? We mentioned at the beginning of tonight that 1844 is when that judgment began. Fear God, give glory to Him, the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of waters. In other words, worship Him who is the Creator. That's what it says. By the way, these words here worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of waters. I have a copy of the Greek New Testament. And in that copy of the Greek New Testament, there is a note that says this passage here is a reference to Exodus chapter 20 and the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment. In other words, these words come from that passage. So here we have a message given that that began to be given in 1844 that God is calling people to remember him as the creator. And one of the principal ways that we do that is keeping the Sabbath. By the way, isn't that fascinating when you consider that Charles Darwin's Origin of Species was published in 1859. And since that time, the world has been flooded with the notion that God did not actually create. And here God is calling us back to the belief that he is the creator. He's the one who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. God's timing is perfect. It's no accident that God placed this call back to the Creator at that time. Furthermore, in Revelation 14, 12, it says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Does God only want us to keep nine of his commandments? Or does he expect us to keep all ten? And wouldn't it be strange that God would not want us to keep the one commandment that reminds us that he's the creator and that we can have a living relationship with him? It makes perfect sense. You know, why should we keep the Sabbath? Well, first of all, it's a reminder to us that we have a creator, a God who created us. It also reminds us (coughs) that we are to be delivered from bondage. (coughs) Excuse me. In the Bible, the Ten Commandments are actually repeated. They're in Exodus, but they're also in Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, instead of reminding us of the Creator, it reminds us that we were delivered out of bondage. It's God who sets us free. Of course, the Sabbath can provide physical rest. It provides us with spiritual rest, resting in Christ. It's a symbol of loyalty. It identifies God's people, according to the Bible. It's a symbol of heavenly rest to come. And, of course, it represents obedience to one of God's commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that would include the Sabbath. Jesus said in Matthew 11, he said, Come to me, all of you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The very next verses after that are Matthew chapter 12, and there's an example there of how to keep the Sabbath. It's very interesting that that verse... I will give you rest, precedes a passage about the Sabbath. God wants us to enjoy the Sabbath with him. He wants us to remember who he is in our lives and he's given us the Sabbath for that purpose. Do you want to keep the Sabbath? Do you want to enrich your relationship with God? Do you want to receive the rest that God intends for you? He's given you the Sabbath as a gift tonight.